Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Neglected Podcast. My name is Nick Schultz. Hit me up at Schultzy Time. We are at For the Neglected. We are here in City Church. My man, producer, the legend, Quinn, is over there producing. Quinn, thanks for being here, like always. And I've got a super special guest today, the man, the myth, the legend. He is Al Hagen. What's going on, Al? Good morning, Nick. Good to be here. It's good to have you here. And I, I was going to wear my backwards hat today, but then you yeah. came in dressed pretty sweet today. So I'm trying to look a little bit more professional than I normally do. So thanks for looking good today. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Anytime you're in front of greatness, you have to dress like Oh, my like goodness. It. Oh, wow. We're, we're both pouring it on a little too thick right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we initially got hooked up. I ended up um, deciding I wanted to work for a nonprofit called Excel, where I was uh, mentoring young men, a lot of them at risk, which I'm doing right now. And I think you found Excel or something happened on I Facebook and, and you reached out to me, sent me a message and we're just very encouraging and said, hey, I love what you're doing, what you guys are doing with Excel and your, your mentoring, and I want to get involved. I want to know more about it. I think that's yeah. how we initially we did. got we did. Uh, connected there. Absolutely, and I'm glad I did. because. Well, I appreciate it, and you've been very encouraging to me, and I know you're you're a very busy man. We'll get into that later on too, but Absolutely. you've still tried to make time to, to help me out and encourage me with what we're doing because you are in the same county that I serve in, in Bryan County here Absolutely. in Savannah, Georgia. And I uh, just appreciate you being here, and I'm glad you're willing to, to share your story and kind of where you're going at in life right now. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you again, Nick. And Al is the name you go by, but that's not your full name, is it? No, it's actually Alfonso. Alfonso, but, but okay. I go by Al, yes. Al's a little bit easier for people to, exactly. <laughs> to say. All right, very good. Well, Al, um, just give us a little bit of a, a background of how you grew up, where you were, yeah. your family dynamic, and yes. what life was like at a young age from what you can remember. Yes. Well, like say, I um, actually grew up in Pembroke. Um, my mom passed away at the age of five, I believe it was, and I was raised by my great aunt who was much older, but um, she was gracious to take me in mm -hmm. as a young child and who raised me through high school there in Pembroke. Um, went to school in Pembroke, played on the tennis team in Pembroke, went in the Boy Scouts, and you know, very active in the community there in Pembroke. And, um, but growing up, I um, became what I call was manipulative because I knew that if I told my aunt something, she believed me, mm -hmm. and so, a lot of the issues I grew up having was my own cause, causation was by myself. So um, later with people in the community really rallying around me, helped me to take a, a better path in life than I thought I would be on initially because it was like, every, I always felt like the world was against me and everybody was against me. I used the thing as, my parents aren't here, so I always made excuses for what was going on in my life instead of accepting the fact I was in a good, loving home. Yeah. And did you know, you didn't mention your father. Was he 
ever in the picture or uh, he was after my mom died and i was um like i said adopted by my great aunt he still lived in the county next to me i still got to see him but he wasn't regularly active in my life mm-hmm. but i had uh, in my in that home was my uncle who's still alive but was big part of helping to focus me as well because I pretty much has followed in his footsteps. He set the blueprint mm-hmm. of what my, especially my law enforcement aspect of my life has taken. I followed from one agency to the next right behind him and then we branched off mm-hmm. later, but he was a big part. And I'm just really interested because of the line of work I do. What What do you see like not having a father growing up? Like how did you see that uh, over time kind of affecting you and growing up without that male figure, especially your, your biological father of not being in your life? It, I'm sure it has an effect, but the problem, the thing that helped me, I had a lot of good men that end up stepping in. Yeah. And as I see you doing with a lot of young men, you're stepping in to fill a void that would have been there had, had they not. So to say I really missed him from a biological sense, I can't say I do because my I was like like I say five years old when we parted ways, so to speak. Right. So, it's hard to um, but there were always strong men that stayed at some aspect of my life and was constantly giving me guidance. But that's something I feel you must men know how to raise men, and so having men in your life really makes a difference. Now, you mentioned growing up in, in Pembroke, and, you know, you're not that old, but that was a little while ago. Yes. And, you know, that area right now is fairly diverse. I'm wondering yes. what it was like racially back when you were growing up, because I think it's changed a lot over the over the years. It, Do you see a difference in when you were younger to where it is now? It's a big difference. Very di- more, much more diverse. Um, even back then, I was the first black and the Boy Scouts there locally. I was the first, and far as I know to this day, was the only black to play on the tennis team in high school. Mm. So, But the good thing was my community was very accepting from a racial aspect. And, um, but at the same time, we, we, did, we had our racial issues in the community, but they were accepting, special to kids. And I think that was the big part as a young kid I was very well accepted and just people helped me along the way. But now, like you say, it's more diverse, especially from the, the county is split by North Bryan, South Bryan, and it's like two different worlds. And um, you see a lot of military, a lot of corporate people who work at the major corporations locally has moved in, which changed a lot of the dynamics of how Bryan County is. Hmm. Did you ever see race differently at a, like a certain stage in life when you're younger? Like, that's really neat that you felt accepted as a young kid. But was there ever a point or I guess were, was your aunt or anybody growing up telling you like, hey, these things might be different for you? Or did you find out certain things when you did become a young man or an adult and you saw things maybe a little bit differently than kind of how you were accepted as a kid? I think I saw it more once I left Bryan County is when I when reality hit me that yeah, we from a human standpoint, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. But from a cultural standpoint, we are different. And I had to learn to understand that there are differences, that culturally we are different. But 
you learn how to navigate those waters the same way. And, you know, yeah, I've had some tough times as I traveled this country, you know, living in different areas, you know, working in different areas. But at the same time, you just find a way to understand, you know, we're different. And, you know, people, racial issues are learned behavior. Most of the time when you see negative behavior, it's learned behavior. Because yeah. two newborn kids or kids three to four years old, they'll play together. They don't care what color you are or anything. But what they'll, what eventually that learned bad behavior gets in them and it starts to manifest itself. But it's up to us. And I always encourage the young people to understand we are different, but we're one and the same and find the common ground. And that's how you get back to working together. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's almost like with all of my kids, I've got four boys and yes. like kind of the racial differences don't hit them until like their first full year of elementary school. Right. Where almost all of them, when I look back, have never used the words black and white right. until after they've already been in kindergarten, elementary school for a while. I was, yes. we were on the way to soccer practice in my third grader was talking to my kindergarten. I overheard him in the back seat and they were talking about, you know, black and white because my kindergartner, he'd never heard those words be used to describe people before. He's always like, you know, I'm peach. He always calls himself peach. And right. my friend is light brown or he's dark brown. Right. And that's how he just would describe things. He didn't see it as a black and white thing. So he overheard someone, whether it was an adult or somebody talking about black and white and he didn't yeah. understand it. So my third grader was explaining to him, which was like the same thing my fifth grader did to my third grader Absolutely. back when he was in kindergarten because they they just didn't see it that way. And all of a sudden they now adults up. are classifying or younger, older, younger kids are classifying each Absolutely. other in this category. Absolutely. And it's just just interesting to me how the dynamic changes of innocence to, okay, now you're you're that's in this right. category. And, and that's what we do. We tend to do is first thing we do is categorize people. Yeah. You know, each other, I would say you walk up, you you first start to judge or put labels and, and it's natural human behavior. But mm -hmm. like I said, once we start to interact, the key I always encourage people to interact with each other, ask questions before you judge, because you'll be surprised how much we're truly alike. Yeah. Yeah. So we have so much in common, no matter where you travel across the country, you have a lot in common. So yeah. no, I, I agree. So you, Told us a little bit about your younger years. What what's going on with uh, little Al as you becoming big Al, going towards the puberty years and adolescence, and how rebellious were you? What what was going on during that time as you're getting older? As I, like I say, as I got older, I, I was um, very rebellious. I ended up um, leaving home at an early age and working and staying with friends. When like I, I think discipline early on was I saw I, I was rebellious to it. And later I learned, of course, that was the best thing ever. When <laughs> I went off to school, I saw guys do, and girls doing things I'd never dream of. And so and would, would do in the public. And so I was like, at that point, I started to realize what a great parent I had by them teaching me you don't do these things in public, giving me a guideline of how to live in public. And um, but. I, w I went through a, a period of rebellion, but like I say, all the wounds that I've received were self-inflicted. 
And I actually went to a school up in Kentucky, and I always had this chip on my shoulder. They don't like me. Everywhere I went, they don't like me. Mm. They're after me. They're doing this to me. And in so, what regard? Like, just as you as a person, was it a being a young man, a race thing, or just overall? or Just overall, I just thought everybody, you know, and I made excuses because I was, I was adopted, or I made excuses because I was overweight. It, it was so many things that uh -huh. I could put a label to, saying yeah. this is the reason they don't like me. Right. And so I got, I went up to school up in Kentucky, and the first day in class, I'll never forget his name, Mr. McGee, we were in algebra class, and Mr. McGee was going over algebra, and I was like, Mr. McGee, you just don't like me. And he looked at me, <laughs> and he said, Al, he said, I never saw you in my life. He said, why would I not like you? You're a young man, and he said, I'm here to help and not to hurt you. And it was like somebody hit a light switch. It came on. It was like I'm all I'm, you know, almost 500 miles from home. Nobody know me. Why? It must be me. It was like something said, "Al, check yourself." And I realized the problems I was having. It was within myself. It was self-esteem issues. It was different issues that I had to fix with myself and realize, man, I have a great life, and I and that's why now I enjoy life mm. because. You know, I was able to check myself and do some self-correction. And, and that's what I encourage to, to our youth when I'm talking to them. You know, look at yourself first before you look at others. Yeah, well, that's definitely good advice. And was that college or high school? You said you went to school up there? It, it was a community college up okay. there that I was going and, to. And when you said you were, I guess, kind of ditching out or leaving home, was that you were not going to high school when you were down nope, here? Just, was, you were just yeah. leaving home? Just and, leaving home. Gotcha. I, I had a couple of, living right in the same community, but it was mm -hmm. with friends who allowed me to come stay with them because it, there was no discipline there. I could go right. get up and go out to the club if I wanted to. And, and what was so funny, though, when people would see me, say, in the club, they knew I was out of place. They knew I didn't belong there. They were like, this must be your first time or something. You know, they knew my it was out of character for me to be where I was at. Up in so, Kentucky? I mean, are you no, like in it, it was right here in, oh, okay. in, in Bryan County, you know. But they had a little club that <laughs> called the Shangri La that I would go out there to that club and people were like, You know you don't belong here. You're and so they would talk call my mom name and said Miss Roxy would have a fit if she knew you were out here. Oh jeez. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, like I say, the community helped to raise me. It's those kind of things that I knew people cared. Mm -hmm. You know, when you hear those kind of things, it's, people are saying it because they care. And if and I learned that if people don't care about you, they're not going to say anything. They're going to let you hit that wall at a hundred miles an hour. Mm -hmm. But people who care, they're going to find a way to stop that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you mentioned, um, you know, having a chip on your shoulder, people not liking you. Was it specifically because people, when you were younger, said stuff like about weight or anything like that? Or was it just you had it in your mind, that's how people view me, or I, I'm not confident enough, so I assume people think that of me? You know? It was some of both. You know, and, and just like right now, bullying is a big issue. I was bullied quite a bit. Yeah. We had a, a group of boys, one family in the community, they were just straight bullies, and they bullied not just me. A lot of the mm -hmm. guys in the community in our age group got bullied by this one family. And um, it was, it's just funny how life changes things. You know, you look at where they are now 
for for the most part and look at where most of the guys that they were bullying are, we did pretty good for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, but it was um, a lot of that the bullying, but also what it does it breaks down your self esteem and and you know it's how I saw myself as well. Right. And so. All right. So you're up in Kentucky doing community yeah. college. Are you finishing yeah. there? Do you stay up there for a while? Or? Yeah, I stayed up there, ended up leaving there, going to the military, and uh, went to the Army Reserves, then ended up back home here, back in Bryan County, where I um, actually started working in law enforcement. I actually came back home for a while and drove a trash truck. I wanted a job, needed a job. And mm-hmm. My pride said, do what you got to do. And yeah. So I did that for about um, probably about six months. And, and what was amazing, it was an older gentleman in my community was like, I can't believe you went off from home, went to school, did all this, and you come back driving a trash truck. Huh. But it motivated me because I knew I had a plan. And I said, I'm going to stick with this plan, but I'll show him one day. I'll do better. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and that was so – it's things like the negative doesn't always – you know, if only if you allow it to beat you down, it will. Yeah. But you, I always tell, use that negative as a fuel to, to, to fire you up and keep you moving, you know, moving forward. Because um, if you listen to it, it, it you, you'll, you'll do all the negative things. I'd have stayed there probably driving a trash truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I knew when I came home, I'd talk to the sheriff about being a deputy. And he said, as soon as I get open it, I'll hire you. So I took the first job available. That was driving a trash truck, and I did it until he did call me. And then I went to work for the sheriff. That's interesting. And the Army Reserve interests me a little bit, too, because yes. you had mentioned that, you know, the light bulb went off. Not everybody's against me. Right. You make a decision to go in the reserves, and you might not quite have had the discipline still in your life yet. So what was that transition like to join the Army Reserves when you might have also learned some other life lessons there to set you up for where you wanted to go? Basic in AIT was very much a discipline thing. It it teaches you discipline. You, mm-hmm. I, I would encourage it to every kid that if you didn't do nothing, go into the reserves, Coast Guard, reserves, or whatever, because that six months or so of discipline is, and plus it teaches you to respect the structure of hierarchy, and it, it helps you in your professional life. It teaches you so much that, you know, it, you can use, it teaches life skills you can use throughout your life. So I, I was really um, helped by doing so. Um, and I went in the military as a truck driver, came out, and I eventually um, did drive trucks for a while. And so I've, I've done quite a few things in my life as it relates to that started off early. You know, you would think that would play over late in my life. And that was like driving trucks. I eventually owned a small trucking company and as, while I was in law enforcement. So those, so I found ways to yeah. survive and always try to make life better for myself. What do you think was one of the, the harder lessons you had to learn through that discipline that maybe you'd never experienced before or you just thought you were good at, but realize I don't, uh, I'm not as uh, disciplined in this aspect of my life as I thought it was. Probably far as discipline, just learning to respect others Mm. that, you know, I had to learn to truly the importance of respecting others and accepting them as they are not feel like 
they should fit my mold, but understanding that they're different and different for a reason, yeah. but respect them no matter what. Yeah, which is interesting because your life growing up and feeling like everyone's against you. Absolutely. And not feeling like people respect you for whatever reason. Now you are learning that I got to give the same thing that I, <laughs> I want to give myself. And, and that's what you have to be careful of because a lot of time when people vi are victimized, they tend to victimize the same way. Hmm. You know, like parents who beat their children with a belt a lot of time tend to grow up beating their kids with a belt right. because it's it's that's what was ingrained in them. So mm -hmm. I always feel, you know, the negative, I have to change at some point. I have to change that even in my family structure would have to change that behavior because it's not a positive behavior, you know. All right, so you're back here in Pembroke, you're driving the trash truck, now you're getting into the law enforcement, and at this point in your life, you're young 20s, exactly. something like that, yes. and, and and so what's going on now in your law enforcement career, and you know, do you eventually get family, or what's happening with your life? Exactly, um, life, life really picked up once I got into law enforcement, because I was doing the things I really enjoyed, um, went to work with the sheriff department, um, then I left and went back up to Kentucky for a year, worked at a job course center, which is um, skill development and educational development for young youth, usually from the age 17 to 23. So I worked there for about a year, year and a half, really enjoyed that, was just homesick. Mm -hmm. So moved back to Bryan County, went to work at the police department for um, Chief Jeff Simmons and Mayor Cook there, and um, worked um, and until I, probably about two years, then went over to the sheriff's office. Worked at the sheriff's office for about four years, became chief investigator, and um, then eventually, always had a goal of wanting to be the GBI or FBI. Hmm. And so continued this work towards that goal, tried to take every bit of training I could, then eventually went to probation for about two years, where was a surveillance officer in, in Hinesville probation. And that was a real lesson for me because when most of the probation officers were home on weekends, I was out working at night. So it taught me that, you know, you may not be able to get in in the front door, but there's a back door mm -hmm. that's working away and the key is to get in. And so and that's what I did, worked as a surveillance officer, working at nights and weekends till eventually I applied with the GBI and was accepted and had a good long career with the GBI. I spent 18 and a half years there enjoyed um, working, being in some of the best positions I could have ever been in from just being a young street agent working undercover to being part of a governor's election. You know, to me, that that's when I feel like I really made a giant step leap in life when you could be part of, you know, the top leader in the state, a part of his campaign. So mm -hmm. um, it really... Um, I really worked to make put myself in some good positions, but that also came from the people I surrounded myself with. So after leaving GBI, well, I got promoted and was over the polygraph unit for the state. And after doing that for about four years, I decided I'd go into private business. And since that time, I've been in private business as a polygraph examiner and um, I have two other examiners and two secretaries. and. Uh, the three, the three of us as examiners cover from Tampa, Florida up to Jacksonville. And you're and all then, over. 
than all the state of Georgia. So we're very busy, very yeah. busy throughout. And so, as you know, I've taken on a new task here, planning that I'm running for sure for Bryan County. Yeah. And um, so I'll be a 2020, uh, a 2020 candidate for um, sheriff in Bryan County. But that's all part of that big picture that I've had of just being able to get in positions so I can help others. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I've done this whole time through my career, no matter where I've been, I've been working with kids through AAU has been one of the big platforms I've used. And a lot of the kids that I've worked with have gone to, from, to college, to pro. And it, it's great just when you get that phone call, you know, one of the kids that I coach signed over a hundred million dollar contract. You know, everybody like you probably expect this. I expected nothing but a, <laughs> but a phone call to say, "Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Hope all is well with you." And when we have those conversations, that's the most fulfilling thing. He could write me a million dollar check that wouldn't cover how I feel when I get those phone calls, just saying, yeah. "Coach, how you doing? I appreciate you know being a part of my life." So that's those really are the things that's important. I'm wondering, just from all your law enforcement experience, and you know, we've talked before and I've mentioned on here too and going to be interviewing guests soon who have young black men that have been in the criminal justice system and you know there's a lot of things that I wish were were changed for their benefit and you know not just young black men but the mm. there's a lot percentages are a little crazy out there underprivileged and yes. underprivileged and you know you're getting a firsthand look at it and you are a black man and you yes. are probably you know arresting or helping catch certain things this you know and you want to keep things safe and clean and protect the people in your community but there also might be some things happening to certain individuals that might have been just like you when you were younger and they're getting charged with this or being in prison for too long and and you're seeing things that you wish weren't exactly like they are because they might be hurting individuals that are that it's happening to and i'm just wondering what that what that dynamic is like for you being on the law enforcement side of it, but also kind of the, the personal side of where you, where you were and how you right. feel for them. And I don't know, I think it'd be tough at times. It, it, it's very tough to watch some of our system is broken. I'll sit here and tell you, I'm not afraid to say that mm -hmm. the system is broken, need a lot of fixes. Um, it's the best system we know, but it, the system needs fixing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are, put into the, just into the criminal justice system that don't need to be in the criminal justice system. There's a lot that need to be there. Some need to be more harsh, some less. But we see a lot of them, kids, I think, that can be rehabilitated if we start early enough. And that's going to be one of my jobs as a sheriff of a county, to get involved early on before they get into the system. And I tell the kids, the system's not made for us. Don't get yourself in that, put yourself in that system because if you think it's going to work to your benefit, you're wrong. So how you do that is follow the law, you know, find a way to do us right. It's mm -hmm. simple and plain. You do us right. But if you get caught into the system, yes, I, I, a lot, a lot of laws I would like to see work differently. A lot of the DA's offices I'd like to see work a little different when offering you know, um, plea deals, because I think some of them can be, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat 
unfair? Very unfair. <laughs> you know, it puts yeah. a person in position sometimes to accept deals that I don't think they should accept. Yeah. But, you know, and but that's part of me being able to talk with DAs when I get into the system, say, hey, what can we do to fix this, these type things? And, um, you know, but I'm not afraid to speak out about those type issues mm-hmm. because we, when we know it's broken, it's hard. If you, your heart is right. If you have God in you, it's hard to sit back and see wrong, go on and not say or do something about it. Mm-hmm. But those who know me in law enforcement know if I see something wrong, I'm going to speak up because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And I think it goes back to what you were sharing and why you were excited about what I was doing because of what happened in your life. Your dad wasn't in the picture. And that, if you didn't have other men step in who were for, even though you we're all going to make mistakes as teenagers and stuff. But like you said, if you have good enough people around you that can help you not get into the system or go down too far of a, too far of a a hole and get in a ditch, then that can really be beneficial to them. So no matter what the the laws are and what is and isn't changed, you know, you, you're an advocate like I am for, if young men have good role mm-hmm. models in their lives and people that care about them, uh, that's uh, going to be a lot more prevention than absolutely. anything else. Absolutely. Because the the jail system doesn't help. I tell people it doesn't rehabilitate. Yeah. Um, the purpose of prison is a good thing. It's supposed to, okay, this is a shock to my system. I don't ever want to come back here. Mm-hmm. But if it makes it where they will constantly coming back, then that's where there's a real problem. But I tell parents, I'm the, I'm the type sheriff or in law enforcement period, if your child get in trouble and I show up, you ought to feel good that someone who has the mentality that I have and not that I think criminals should get off. I'm far against that. I'm all for punishment, you know, but let the punishment fit the crime. Mm -hmm. But my thing is when I come up to a scene or whatever, my first thought, yeah, this person messed up, but how can what's the best outcome for him? Because if I should say if somebody have a DUI, giving him or her ten citations because he got broken tail lights, all this craziness does nothing to do but put them further in a hole. Mm-hmm. So my thing would be okay. Let's charge him with the DUI, get him in the court system, and hopefully try to get them some treatment on the other side. But to burden them with 10 or 15 tickets and saying that, you know, basically trying to punish them. And that's not our job as law enforcement to punish people. That's the court system to handle that aspect of it. But my thing is to try to make the best outcome for that person that has gotten in trouble or has, you know, has put themselves in a tough situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you're very much of the approach of wanting to be sheriff, be in law enforcement because you want to help. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure there's some people that do it because they want to put away bad guys and keep right. people safe. And, you know, sometimes there's a merge of both of those. But that can be two very different mindsets of, hey, well, I'm just we're just keeping bad people that are doing bad things away from everybody else. And they need to be punished as opposed to, yes, I believe in punishment, but Absolutely. we have to care about Absolutely. person. And if they're ever going to come back out here, they <laughs> need a little bit of hope. Well, you put the person in jail, say five years, he come out with no real skills given or rehabilitation. Yeah. What did that do? But if you find something 
positive to instill in that person, if nothing but self-esteem, they come out a better person. Guess what? He fits back into society in a better you, f- you bring a better person back to society. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea that he's not out preying on on our good citizens. So mm-hmm. you want to make that person a better person. Yeah. And want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the kids you're helping with AAU sports. And was that an outlet for you? Did, did you have your own kids or was this kind of like a family thing for you just to like a way to give back to some of these young men who, you know, maybe they did have fathers, but they also really needed more positive influence as well. Like, was that a, a form of you kind of, this is part of like my family grew up, like now that I'm an older adult or. I raised my two grandsons, my step grandsons, but they're my, I call them my sons mm-hmm. and I raised them, but neither one of them played sports, but they were my best team managers because they were always <laughs> with me yeah. everywhere. I, you know, my theory was, I went nowhere that they couldn't go. So to me, basketball was the great outlet, and it, it was refreshing to be able to help these kids. There was a lot of great, very athletic kids that were very good, but their parents didn't necessarily have the means to get them where they needed to be. So I was made sure I was that, along with others, to get be that avenue to get them to that next level or whatever. Make sure that they're getting a, their grades. That's one of the main things I stayed on them about. Grades are very important in this situation. You know, you can be the best athlete, but the first thing the coach, college coach is going to ask me, well, how's his grades? Right. And so, we, you know, we really worked with our kids to get them in school, and we were able to get um, probably 95% of our kids in school somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was all about for me. It wasn't about, you know, I tell them I wasn't a good X and O coach, but I was, I understood how to put the best players on the floor and let them do what they do best. And the coaches would come and they would say, man, I like this kid. I like this kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's just great to see kids who didn't really see a way out, but all of a sudden they're picking up the phone at 10, 11 o'clock. Hey, coach, I'm doing well, you know. I graduate. It's you know, a kid I just was involved with. He he'll be he graduated from Savannah State, the first in his family to graduate from college. But basketball's that avenue to get him there. He went to two or three other college prior to finishing, but still he stayed focused. We would constantly talk you know over the phone to keep him motivated. And finally, he graduated. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of him. Yeah. Do you? Uh... Do you think you would have been who you are doing some of the things you are doing if you didn't have those kind of mentor men in your in your life when you were younger? Absolutely not, because I had a lot of negative forces pulling at me. You know, hey, let's go, let's go party, let's go do this, let's go get something to drink, and you know, and I never drank, but had I not had to fear my mom along with these positive forces saying that's not the way. Yeah, it would have been very easy, you know, and that's why I tell the powers that be, these young kids, let's get on them early in the middle school or so because the gangs are standing here. They don't love you, but we do. And that's a lot of times why we got to get a hold of them, show mm-hmm. them we love them before the gangs get a hold of them or, or the, whatever the negative. It could be one person that influences them negatively. And so it's important for us to get in their ear early on and truly show them that we care about them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I, I'm constantly heaping praise on you 
because I see it. And, you know, I see the kids that you take the time. And you. And what's amazing, you have your own kids. You know, you could be selfish and say, no, nah, I'm going to be home and spend this time with my kids. You know, but yet you're out helping every every kid possible. And that's why I reached out to you and, uh, and, you, and you responded. And like I said, I even feel bad that I haven't spent as much time with you working <laughs> with the kids because you really put it in. But, you know, and, and we'll continue and we'll do more because there's kids in Bryan County that truly need it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a pretty busy guy uh, polygraphing yeah. all around the state and the yeah. region and running for sheriff. And you got you got a lot going on. So I, I just I appreciate it anyway. And, you know, part of the reason for asking you on here is like, you didn't ask me to be on the podcast. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. hey, I want a campaign or something well, like no, that. It was, not. I reached out to you because I, you know, knew a little bit about your story from interactions had, but also just your heart in this area. And <clears throat> I think when you, when you were able to hear someone's story from where they came from, but also Absolutely. how they're trying to help other people because of either it was really bad or because right. I got helped out when there's a lot of Absolutely. people that didn't get helped out. It's important Absolutely. to tell that kind of stuff because it just, it does. It only takes one, one of my favorite quotes, like, you know, it takes one loving adult to really change a, a kid or a, a young Absolutely. person's life. And, Absolutely. you know, we all actually have the ability to do that where we're at. Absolutely. You, know, you don't have to go look in some place crazy for it. You don't have to sign up for some organization. No. It's just don't be afraid to get a little bit messy and maybe get rejected or, you know, Absolutely. be judged and, because most of the time that's coming out of fear and past hurt Absolutely. that you're getting those negative things Absolutely. when they actually, they're just want somebody who loves them that's going to be consistent and is going to be around. Absolutely. So they might try to keep you away, but it's to see if you're actually going to stay. Absolutely. Well, because they lose trust because a lot of times when the father's not in the home, they'll make promises to them and don't keep them. Mm -hmm. And once they start to get that kind of rejection, you know, I tell young men, if you promise your son or daughter something, especially when you're not living in the home, make sure you follow through because they're sitting inside the curve. And I'm sure you've seen that picture where they're sitting inside the curve, really looking up and down the street, just wondering when that car is going to turn the corner because mm -hmm. they're truly looking for it because they love you no matter what. So yeah. truly, you know, when you promise kids something, follow through because that can make a break, truly make a break a kid. Yeah. And I, I think for you, one of the things I, I love too is just the encouragement aspect of it and not yeah. just keeping a record of wrongs or like, uh, you need to do this, you need no. to be this person, but just pouring a little encouragement on them. Because for some reason, we, I think we just assume that people are getting praise and all the time or being told no. the things they do well. And for the most part, young people aren't. Even if they no. have good parents, a lot of times they're not being told like they how understand. they're special, that they matter, no. being hugged, being encouraged by things that they do well and you know you were at the meeting we had just this past weekend and yeah. one of the boys that was there i only met him a couple times right. but he was like that was one of the best things can we do that every week right because he's living with his uncle or grandpa uh -huh. parents are out of the picture no dad and and just the fact that we were like telling them hey like you can be something Absolutely. and we want to help you with it and You'd assume somebody was telling them that. Nobody's telling them that. Nobody's telling them. And, and, and a lot of time, even in, like I say, what we consider a a traditional home with love in it, we don't tell them because we say, oh, he know I love him. Mm -hmm. But they want to hear it. Just like husband and wife, they want to hear each other say, I love you. Mm -hmm. Those kids want to hear the same thing. And, yeah. and those are the things that 
build self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell, especially men, tell your daughters you love them. Don't wait to the man in the street tell them that. Mm-hmm. You know, be the first to tell your daughter you love so it's nothing special yeah. when she hear it. So, you know, it's those kind of things that help build your kids help build a self-esteem. And when I say your kids, it could be any kid. Mm-hmm. You see some kid looking dejected, go find out. Just have a little conversation with them. You'll be surprised what that kid is going through. These kids go through a lot now, a lot of bullying. Those, that's going to be one of my big platforms is to work on our bullying issues in the schools because it's really gotten out of hands. But you even see adults online doing it. Sure. So yeah. that's, you know, we got to really start with the adults to show them how to talk to their kids about. Because kids tend to do what they see at home. And if they see their parents bullying, what they're going to do, mm-hmm. they'll do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'm excited about for you, and, and we mentioned this a couple of days ago when we were talking, is that even though you're running for sheriff, you know, the possibility is you might win, you might lose, right. but you are somebody that is going to make a difference and trying to make a difference regardless if you get yeah. that position or that platform. Absolutely. Anyway, it's not like all these changes are going to happen sure. and I can only make a difference if I become sheriff. Like people yeah. still have to follow you and believe in you. You have to encourage other people so that they Absolutely. encourage other people. And even if you don't, you have all this networking in the community now where you know people know your heart and they want you want to see good things happen, especially the young people that are struggling and you're still going to be able to use that Absolutely. platform and help them out regardless. And, you know, that's what excites me is that you're not putting all your eggs Even in one basket. If I never. get this position in life, which a lot of yeah. people do, it's like, yeah. if I'm not in this seat or in this spot, then forget I'm not going to try or make a difference. And that's that's not where you're at. And, you know, that, that makes me excited to work Absolutely. with you because regardless of where you're going to be at, we're still, still going to be, be involved. Still going to be involved. So absolutely, like I say, that that's just a, one of the goals in my life's journey. But if if that one that meant it wasn't meant for me, but guess it's something else better for me. Yeah, and it'll be whatever it is. You better bet it'll be trying to help our communities better, help young our youth, and make sure that they grow up to be young productive citizens. And that's yeah. my whole always my goal. Well, that's a good segue to our, our last question, which we always get to with our guest. And it's, you know, little Al, teenage Al, you know, that one that was struggling and making bad choices, but had those those men step in. What what can someone do who's just listening to this or, you know, they're not used to doing something like that? How can I make a difference? What, what can somebody do to just it's a small action that, young person is hurting or struggling or you're not sure what 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 can you do to make a difference in their life that can have a bigger longer lasting impact constantly encourage them reach out to them you know like i say you see kids that don't have real structure don't criticize them because you don't know their story mm-hmm. go talk to them find out what's going on with them you'll be surprised and you'll think how can that kid even i, I was even surviving because knowing that yourself probably couldn't survive some of the situation kids yeah. nowadays are having to go through. So go find out what's going on and constantly encourage them. And people think a lot of time it takes throwing money at every situation. Yeah. And it's really not. A lot of those kids sometimes, a lot of times have money in their pocket, but they're miserable. And mm-hmm. we as adults can be the same. We have all our bills paid, everything going, but life can be miserable for us because there's still something missing. Yeah. And for the, these kids on the in our communities, a lot of it just love. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. They're looking for somebody to tell them, hey, I'm proud of you. If you see me, I'm around, I'll look at a kid all the time. I'm proud of what you're doing, especially when they're doing something positive. It just warms your heart to see the youth doing something positive, you know. Yeah. So well, that's I'm good advice. Man. Encourage. Yeah, that's really good advice. Just encourage people. Absolutely. Lean on the side of encouragement instead Absolutely. of pointing out Absolutely. everything that's wrong with them. That's good, man. I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate your friendship and Same. trying to help out what we're doing and how we can do that together and help young men and young people and just our community and encourage them and and have some especially some male presence in the lives of some of these young men that you know were like you and like me and like a lot Absolutely. of them that if we didn't get that then could be a whole on a whole different path and so i'm, I'm thankful for your story and the the men that stepped in your life Absolutely. when you needed them and that you're doing the same for for others and Absolutely. i appreciate your time for, for you being here i'm proud to be here and thank you so much nick continue doing the great work that you're doing i'm <laughs> telling you and it shows and it's going it's paying off and and like i say i'll con, i'll be a conduit for you in bryan county in any way possible so thanks for the opportunity here thank you man i appreciate it. everybody thanks for being here quinn thanks for producing city church thank you for hosting this has been the neglected and you can reach us at for the neglected and we'll see you next week peace mm-hmm.